For the last year or so, I've been working with the artist Axel Void to produce a version of Nietzsche's Thus Spake Zarathustra. I'm doing the translation, and I'll have commentary, and Axel will be doing the illustrations. When the books come out, they'll come out separately, one book for each of the books that Nietzsche wrote, um, and they'll include a facing page translation with the, my commentary and then illustrations by Axel. We thought it would be fun just to keep people up to date with what we're doing to do this sort of audiobook version of the of the rough draft. So this has not the final edit. When we bring out the the official books, we'll probably bring out another audiobook that's complete in one, you know, one file and easy to access. But until then, I'll try and put out about a section a week as we finish the work on each of these. Thus spake Zarathustra by Friedrich Nietzsche, translated by Wes Cecil, illustrations by Axel Void. When Zarathustra was 30 years old, he left his home and the lake of his home, and he went into the mountains. Here he enjoyed his spirits and his solitude, and did not tire of them for ten years. Finally, however, his heart was transformed, and one morning he rose with the dawn, stood before the sun, and spoke thus. Oh, great star, what would be your happiness if you did not have those for whom you shine? Ten years you have climbed the path to my cave. You would have grown weary of your shining and climbing were it not for me, my eagle and my snake. But every morning we were waiting for you and received you for your overflow and blessed you for it. Look, I'm exhausted by my wisdom, like a bee that has gathered too much honey. I need hands outstretched for it. I desire to give and share so that the wise again find joy in their folly and the poor in their riches. Therefore must I climb down to the depths, as you, in the evening, when you slip below the sea, yet bring light to the underworld, you over-rich star. I must, like you, go under, as the men say, to whom I would go down. So bless me, you serene eye, that without envy looks on overflowing happiness. Bless the cup that wants to overflow, that the water may flow golden and everywhere carry a reflection of your bliss. Behold, this cup wants to become empty again, and Zarathustra wants to become human again. So began Zarathustra's going under. Chapter 2 Zarathustra descended the mountains alone and met no one. But when he entered the forest, suddenly an old man stood before him who had left his holy hut to search for roots in the woods, and thus spoke the old man to Zarathustra. No stranger to me is this wanderer. Many years ago he passed by here. Zarathustra he was called, but now he has transformed himself. At that time you carried your ashes into the mountains. Will you now carry your fire to the valleys? Do you not fear the arsonist's punishment? Yes, I know Zarathustra. His eye is clear, and there is not a hint of cynicism in his face. Does he not move like a dancer? Zarathustra is transformed. Zarathustra has become child. An awakened one is Zarathustra. What do you want now amongst the sleepers? As if the sea you lived in your solitude, and the sea bore you up. Alas, do you want to step onto land? Alas, do you want again to bear your own body? Zarathustra answered, I love humanity. Why, said the saint, did I go into the forest and the desert? Was it not because I loved humanity all too much? Now I love God. I do not love humanity. For me, love of mankind is an endless task. Loving mankind would be the death of me. Zarathustra answered, What did I say of love? I bring humanity a gift. 
Give them nothing, said the saint. Take something from them, rather, and carry it for them. That will help them most, but only if it is healthy for you. And if you want to give to them, give them no more than alms, and let them beg for that. No, answered Zarathustra, I give no alms. I am not poor enough for that. The saint laughed at Zarathustra and spoke thus. Then make sure they accept your treasure, for they are mistrustful of hermits and do not believe we come to bestow gifts. Our footsteps echo loudly through their streets, and when they lie in their beds at night and hear, long before sunrise, steps, they, th they ask themselves, where goes that thief? Go not to men and remain in the forest, better even to go to the animals. Why not be like me, a bear amongst bears, a bird amongst birds? And what does the saint do in the forest? asked Zarathustra. The saint answered, Make songs and sing them, and as I make up songs, I laugh and cry and growl. Also I praise God. With singing, crying, laughing, and growling, I praise the God who is my God. But what do you bring us as a gift? When Zarathustra has heard these words, he saluted the saint and said, What do I have to give you? Rather, let me go quickly so that I do not take anything from you. And so the old man and, the, and Zarathustra parted, laughing like two boys. But when Zarathustra was alone, he spoke. He spoke to his heart. Could it really be that this old saint in his forest has still not heard that God is dead? When Zarathustra came to the nearest town, which lay at the edge of the forest, he found many people gathered in the town square. It had been announced that they could see a tightrope walker, and Zarathustra spoke to the people thus, I teach you the overman. Man is something that shall be overcome. What have you done to overcome him? All beings so far have created something over themselves, and would you like to be the ebb of this great flood and rather return to being animals than overcome man? What is the ape for man, a joke or a cause of painful shame? Just so shall man be for the overman, a joke or cause for painful shame. You have made your way from worm to man, but much of you is still worm. Once you were an ape, and still more men are more ape than any ape. Whoever is wisest amongst you is still only a struggle and a hermaphrodite between plants and ghost. But do I call you become plants or ghost? Behold, I teach you the overman. The overman is the sense of the earth. Let your will say, the overman is the sense of the earth. I beseech you, my brothers, remain true to the earth, and do not believe those who talk of unnatural hopes. They are poison mixer, mixers, whether they know it or not. They are despisers of life, exhausted and poisoned themselves of whom the earth is tired, so let them pass away. Once sacrilege against God was the worst sacrilege, but God died, and then so did this sacrilege. So now sacrilege against the earth is the worst, and to revere the guts of the unknowable above a sense of the earth. Once the soul looked upon the body as despicable, and this despising was the highest, she wanted the body to be thin, ugly, starved. Thus she sought to escape from the body and the earth. Oh, this soul was herself thin, ugly, and starved, and this soul lusted after cruelty. But you, my brothers, tell me, what does your body tell you about your soul? Is it not your soul poor and dirty and wretched contentment? Truly, a polluted stream is man. One must be an ocean to take in such a polluted stream without becoming unclean. Behold, I teach you the overman. He is this sea. In it your great despising can be drowned. What is the worst that you could experience? 
That is the hour of your great despising, the hour in which even your happiness becomes disgusting to you, and just so your reason and your virtue. The hour when you say, What good is my happiness? It is poor and dirty and wretched contentment, but my happiness should justify existence itself. The hour when you say, What use is my reason? Does it hunger of knowledge the way a lion hungers for prey? It is poor and dirty and wretched contentment. The hour when you say, What use is my virtue? It is still to set me raging. How tired I am of my good and my evil. All that is poor and dirty and wretched contentment. The hour when you say, What good is my righteousness? I do not feel I am a fire and coals. But one who is righteous is fires and hot coals. The hour when you say, What good is my pitying? Is not pity the cross on which one who loves man is nailed? But my pitying is no crucifixion. Have you ever spoken thus? Have you ever cried thus? Ah, that I might have heard you cry thus. Not your sin. Your smallness rails against heaven. The meanness in your sin rails against heaven. Where is the lightning that licks you with its tongue? Where is the madness with which you must be inoculated? Behold, I teach you the overman. It is the lightning. It is this madness. When Zarathustra had spoken thus, one amongst the people shouted, We've heard enough about this tightrope walker. Now let us see him. And all the people laughed at Zarathustra. But the tightrope walker, thinking the words were about him, began his performance. Zarathustra, however, watched the people and wondered at them. Then he spoke thus, Man is a rope tied between animal and overman, a rope over an abyss, a dangerous crossing, a dangerous on the way, a dangerous looking back, a dangerous shaking and a standing still. What is great in man is that it is a bridge and not a goal. What one can love in man is that it is a going over and a going under. I love those who do not know how to live except by going under, since they are a going across. I love the great despisers, as they are the great desirers and arrows of desire for the other shore. I love those who do not search beyond the stars for a reason to be sacrificed and going under. Rather, they are sacrifices for the earth, so that the earth may one day be ready for the overman. I love those who live to understand and who want to understand so the overman can live and therefore they will their going under. I love him who works and creates, that the overman will have a house ready under the earth, plant and animals will be prepared for his sake, and so will his going under. I love him who loves his virtue. This virtue is the will to go under and an arrow of desire. I love him who withholds not one drop of his spirit, rather he wills his entire spirit to his virtue, so he strides across the bridge as a spirit. I love him who makes of his virtue his addiction and his going undoing. For his virtue he wants more life and no more life. I love him who does not have too many virtues. One virtue is more than two, that it has more knots that it must be unraveled. I love him who squanders his soul, who will accept no thanks or reciprocation, for he always gives and would not preserve himself. I love him who is ashamed when the dice fall in his favor and then asks, Have I been playing falsely? for he will own his own passing. I love him whose golden words always go before his deeds, and still he achieves more than he promised, for he wills his going under. I love him who justifies the future and redeems the past, for he wants to be lost to the present. I love him who criticizes his God since he loves his God, that he must perish from the wrath of his God. 
I love those whose soul is deep even in the wounding and which can perish even from a little shock. Thus he goes gladly over the bridge. I love him whose soul is overflowing so that he forgets himself and everything is in him and so everything becomes as going under. I love him who has a free spirit and a free heart so his heart is only the guts of his hearth. His heart, however, drives him to his going under. I love all those who fall as heavy drops, falling singly from the dark clouds which hang over mankind. They foretell the lightning to come, and foretelling they perish. Behold, I am the herald of the lightning to come and a heavy drop from the cloud. This lightning is called the overman. When Zarathustra had spoken these words, he looked again at the people and was silent. There they stand, he spoke to his heart. There they laugh. They do not understand me. I am not the mouth for these ears. Must one first smash the ears so that they learn to listen with their eyes? Must one boom like kettle drums or preachers? Or do they believe only in the stammerer? They have something about which they are proud. What do they call this thing that makes them proud? Education, they name it. It separates them from the goat herds. Hence, they do not like hearing the word despising applied to them. So I will address their pride. And thus Sparthasustra spoke to the people. The time has come for mankind to set a goal for itself. It is now time for mankind to plant the seed of his highest hope. Still, the soil is rich enough, but this soil will soon be poor and exhausted, and no more will great trees grow from it. Alas, the time comes when mankind no longer shoots the arrow of its yearning over man's beyond, and the string of its bow will have forgotten how to whirr. I say to you, one, one must still have chaos with one, within oneself in order to be able to give birth to a dancing star. I say to you, you still have enough chaos in you. Alas, the time comes when mankind will birth no more stars. Alas, the time comes of the most despicable man who can no longer despise himself. Behold, I show you the last man. What is love? What is creation? What is yearning? What is a star? So asks the last man and blinks. The earth has now become small, and on it hops the last man who makes everything small. His race is as indestructible as the flea. The last man lives longest. We have invented happiness, says the last man, and blinks. They have left the regions where living was hard, for one needs warmth. One still loves one's neighbor and rubs against him, for one needs warmth. Becoming sick and being mistrustful are sinful to them. One must proceed with care. A fool whoever stumbles on stones or men. A little poison now and then makes for agreeable dreams, and much poison in the end for an agreeable death. One still works because work is entertaining, but one is careful that the entertainment does not become stressful. One no longer becomes rich or poor. Both are too troublesome. Who still wants to rule? Who wants to obey? Both are too troublesome. No shepherd and one herd. Everyone wants the same. Everyone is the same. Whomever feels otherwise goes willingly to the madhouse. One is clever and knows all that has been, so there is no end of mockery. Men still argue, but soon make up, or else it would disturb the digestion. One has one's little pleasures for the day, and one has one little pleasures for the night, but one still honors good health. We have invented happiness, says the last men, and blinks. And here ended Zarathustra's first speech which is also called the prologue. For at this moment the noise and delight of the crowd interrupted him. Give us this last man, O Zarathustra, they cried. Turn us into these last men. Then will you give the overman? And the people laughed and clucked with their tongues. 
Did you not understand me? I am not the mouth for these ears. Too long have I lived in the mountains, and too often I have listened to the streams and trees. Now I talk to them as to goat herds. My soul is and bright as the mountains in the morning, but they think I am a mocker and make fearful sport. And now they see me and laugh, and even as they laugh, they hate me. There is ice in their laughter. Then something occurred that made every mouth mute and every eye stare. For in the meantime, the tightrope walker had begun his performance. He had come out through a small door and started across a rope that was stretched between two towers above the market and the people. When he was halfway across, the small door opened again and a man in motley clothes, looking like a jester, sprang out and followed the first one with rapid steps. "'Go on, lame foot!' he cried with a terrifying voice. "'Go on, lazy bones, smuggler, pale face, or I shall tickle you with my heel. What are you doing here between the towers? You should be in the tower and locked up. You are blocking the way for one who is better than you.' And with each word he came closer and closer to him. When he was only a single step behind him, then the terrible thing happened that made every mouth mute and every eye stare. He gave a shriek and sprang over the man who was in his way. But seeing his rival best him, he lost both his head and the rope. He dropped his pole and fell faster than it, a whirlwind of arms and legs into the depths. The marketplace and the people looked like a sea when a storm comes through. Everything churned and parted, at a particular at the spot where the body would hit the ground. Zarathustra, however, stood still, and the body fell next to him, twisted and broken, but not yet dead. After a time, the broken man regained consciousness and saw Zarathustra kneeling beside him. "'What are you doing here?' he finally said. "'I have long known the devil would trip me up, and now he will drag my soul to hell. Will you stop him?' "'On my honor, friend,' answered Zarathustra, "'all that you speak is as nothing. There is no devil and no hell. Your soul will die even before your body. Fear no more.' The man looked up doubtfully. If all you speak is truth, he said, then I lose nothing when I lose my life. I am nothing more than a beast who has been taught to dance and throw blows and small morsels. Not so, said Zarathustra. You have made a living from danger, and that is not to be despised. And now your calling has felled you. Therefore I will bury you with my own hands. When Zarathustra had said this, the dying man answered no more, but he raised his hand as if he were feeling for Zarathustra's hand to thank him. After a time, evening came and the marketplace was shrouded in darkness. The people departed, for even curiosity and horror become tired. Zarathustra, however, sat on the ground next to the corpse, sunk in thought, and so last track of time. Finally, night came and a cold wind blew over the solitary figure. Then Zarathustra arose and spoke to his heart. Wonderful! A lovely bunch of fish has Zarathustra caught today. He caught no man today, only a single corpse. Human existence is uncanny and still without meaning. A jester can become its destruction. I want to teach men the meaning of their being, the overman, the lightning from the dark cloud of mankind. But I am still distanced from them, and my sense does not speak to their senses. I'm a mean am I between the fool and a corpse. Dark is the night, and dark are the paths of Zarathustra. Come, my cold, stiff companion, and I will bear you forth to where I can bury you with my own hands. When Zarathustra had said this to his heart, he put the corpse on his back and went on his way. But before he had gone even one hundred steps, a man sneaked up to him and whispered in his ear, And see, 
It was the jester from the tower. Go away from this town, O Zarathustra, he said. Too many hate you here. You are hated by the good and the upright, and they call you the enemy and despiser. You are hated by the faithful and the true believers. They call you a threat to the masses. You were lucky that they laughed at you, and really you talked like a jester. You were lucky that you befriended that dead dog. By humbling yourself so, you have saved yourself for today. But go forth, forth from this town, or come morning, I will jump over you, a living man, over a dead one. When he had said this, the man vanished. Zarathustra, however, continued to the dark lanes. At the gate of the town he ran into some grave diggers. They shone their torches in his face, recognized Zarathustra, and greatly mocked him. Zarathustra is carrying away a dead dog. How great that Zarathustra has become a grave digger. For our hands are too clean for this roast. Would Zarathustra rob the devil of his bite? All right then, a good meal to you. If only the devil was not better thief than Zarathustra. He will steal both of them and eat them both. And they laughed amongst themselves and put their heads together. Zarathustra said no word to them and went his way. When he had been walking for two hours through woods and swamps, he heard, had heard too many of the hungry wolves howl, and many had himself become hungry. So he stopped at a lonely house in which a light burned. Hunger falls on me, said Zarathustra, like a thief. In the woods and swamps it overcomes me in the deep of night. Wonderful moods my hunger has. Often it only comes to me after meal times, and today it did not come for the entire day. Where was it? And with that, Zarathustra knocked at the door of the house. An old man appeared. He carried a light and asked, Who comes to me in my poor sleep? One living and one dead, said Zarathustra. Give me something to eat and drink. I forgot it today. He who feeds the hungry refresh their own soul. So speaks wisdom. The old man went in and quickly returned and offered Zarathustra bread and wine. An evil place is this for the hungry, he said. That is why I live here. Beasts and men come to me, the hermit. But tell also your companion to eat and drink. He is more exhausted than you. Zarathustra answered, My companion is dead. I will find it hard to convince him. That is nothing to me, said the old hermit snidely. Whomever stops at this house must accept what I offer. Eat and go forth. Thereafter, Zarathustra walked for another two hours, trusting his path to the light of the stars. He was an experienced night traveler and loved to look into the faces of all that slept. But by early morning, Zarathustra was in deep woods and could no longer make out his path. Then he placed the dead man into the hollow of a tree so he could protect it from the wolves and lay his head down on the mossy ground. And soon he fell asleep, weary in body, but with an unmoved spirit.